Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. I got to catch up with a longtime friend and somebody that I've had a chance to work with many, many times in the past and a great partner of ours here at Greenlight Guru, Christy Johnson. Christy is with Casoda Engineering. As we were preparing to chat today, I could not believe that this is the first time appearance for her on the Global Medical Device Podcast, something that I'm sure will not be the last. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical device podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And joining me today is someone I've known. I was just trying to think of this as we're getting on the call for, let's just go with many years, Christy Johnson with Casoda Engineering. Christy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know you know this, but I guess as the time for our conversation was approaching this morning, I'm reminiscing a little bit about one of the first engagements <laughs> that we got involved with. And that was an interesting one. But anyway, I guess to get things started, who is Casoda and what do you do? And I know you mentioned before we started recording that you got some other things that are going on. So let's just start there and then we'll dive into our topic of conversation today. Yeah, I started Casoda Engineering back in 2016 with the goal of helping small startups and really just small companies, device, create a quality system, not just create a quality system, but kind of baby step them into a quality system, help generate quality artifacts, build out design history files. So there's a little bit of engineering. I'm a mechanical engineer from Purdue. So usually when I get in with a company, I build long-term close relationships that turn into a combination of quality and engineering. And of course, my favorite thing to do is build a risk management file from scratch. (laughs) Not many people say that. The other couple of things, you're a partner of ours at Greenlight Guru. What I appreciate, I know our customer success team and our customers uh, who work with you appreciate is that sometimes we work with a company who excuse the expression, but they just need a little bit more handholding. You know, maybe they're newer to this med device game and industry, and, you know, maybe they don't have the bandwidth or the capacity or, or the expertise to walk through the steps of effectively implementing a quality management system. So, you know, when those situations come up, our team reaches out to you, makes the connection, and I know you've had an opportunity to work with quite a few different companies. So I appreciate all the work that you've done for Greenlight Guru and certainly the customers that you've helped. Yeah, and, you know, everyone comes to me with a different challenge and in from a different place, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different strengths and opportunities to get to know the different companies. So it's, it's been a lot of fun working with your team. Yeah. One of the things I thought you and I could talk a little bit more about is really, a, you know, kind of aligns with who you are and how you are. And I, you know, it's been a day or two since you and I've chatted, but from early on, I'm like, all right, we don't share a hundred percent of the same points of view, but philosophically speaking, there's great alignment, especially when it comes to how important quality is, how important a quality management system is, and how to structure and set one up and that sort of thing. And I know from time to time, this comes up where, you know, there's confusion. That term quality, it's got baggage, I think, in 2021. I have some ideas of some of the contributing factors to that baggage, which, you know, might be important from a learning perspective. But, you know, I think we've got to figure out a way out of this. And I guess maybe that's a great place to start. Put yourself in a startup position. Who can do quality? I mean, do you have to go find the guy 
guy that or the gal that got 25 years of experience and used to work at you know some mega company like a division of J&J or Medtronic to add them? Yeah. How do you do that? It's such a good question, John, because a lot of, I think, really early firms think that one of their very first hires needs to be, you know, someone who's super experienced, like a senior VP level of quality. And well, let me tell you an example. So early 2020, a firm had contracted with me to build their early bootstrap QMS, set up their design history file, put together their risk management file. Fast forward to March, the CEO calls and says, I've got these researchers who are on my payroll that I contractually have to pay through the end of the year and their lab is shut down for COVID. Can you train them to do the work that I was going to pay you to do? Build the quality system, put together the DHF and the RMF. And of course, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the team that I trained, it was a couple of people with the PhD. One of them had a medical background, knew absolutely nothing. Like very first question, like, what are you talking about? Like, what is (laughs) we're doing what? So it was actually really fun to build like from scratch their understanding of quality and like how to get them to embrace it as a way to take credit for all the hard work that they a lot of that was going on anyways, that basically documenting it in a repeatable way just gives them a place to take credit for what they were doing. Yeah, I like that teach mentality or methodology. Back way before Greenlight, I did a lot of consulting and I tried, I wasn't always successful, but I tried to impart the knowledge, the skills, the expertise to the people at the companies I was working with. Because as long as they relied on me to do that, I was going to be a crutch. And when the companies took the opportunities to own and embrace the responsibility for managing their quality, even if they didn't have you know decades or even years of experience with quality and quality management systems, those companies were more successful because they took it on and built it in such a way that they could scale and grow. I think you're right on. I think there's a lot of overestimation that really early firms do in scoping how much of their quality system they need to implement and when. So for this team, and actually I've done the same thing now for a team under the NIH's RADx. I coach yeah. a handful of teams that are in the RADx program, Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics for developing COVID-19 diagnostics. And one of my teams in that program, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, right? Like, hey, we've got this resource. This time it was a new college grad. This person has capability to learn and has a good attitude. Can you train her? And so that turned into a weekly coaching session, um, working through the risk management file and some couple of different just early kind of bootstrappy SOPs. And she's off and running. And like, if you can read and understand the regulation, and if you can sit and work with me and help me understand your background, and I can coach you we can start putting in place really your early quality system, document control, um, supplier management, some design and development, risk management, maybe a little bit of training. But the idea is just to put in place what we need to make sure that the team is taking credit for things like different revisions of their bill of materials. What are you using for that verification test? Just take a bomb and put it in your tool and create a revision of it. Just create an indelible, tell me what you did. Yeah. Then we can go back and look at it and we can link it all together. 
Yeah. So why do you think, because I think this is an issue. I think, you know, I'll frame it a little bit better before I ask the question, but I think there's at least two schools of thought when it comes to quality within a company. One is that I'll do that later when the time is right. I'm not there yet. That sort of mentality. Or maybe another point of view is not my job. That's somebody else's job in our company. And then maybe a variation of some of those is the other extreme I see a lot of times is the quality department or person has a lot of either real or perceived power and they architect this wonderfully compliant but super complicated approach that brings the rest of the business to the knees because it's too burdensome. I'm curious, how did we get here as an industry? How did this happen? Do you have any thoughts? You know, I think a lot of people will call themselves a consultant in the most like disgusting definition of the word, right? So recently I've joined forces with Devin Campbell at Product. You've talked to Devin a few times. <laughs> yes, I have. He's been a guest on here before, yeah. And our philosophy is very much to never do what like traditional consultants in industry do, which is show up, throw some documents down and walk away. Maybe you train them a little bit and walk away. We would never do that. But I think that's a really common approach where a consultant will come in, you know, a firm will hire a consultant to come in, put in place coined SOPs that are not customized to that organization. And then they get everyone to get signatures on them and then they walk away. And really what I think the approach needs to be is not focusing on putting in place a fully compliant, even the modules we talked about, like doc control, you don't need 11 signatures. You don't need everybody in the company to sign off on every early version. Like keep it super simple. Use whatever tool you want. I think Greenlight's super easy to use. So, and I appreciate that we work together, your team and my team work together on several projects. So have any system at all. The system you should implement is the one your team will use and make it easy. If a team cannot understand and readily use the tool, they're not going to do it or follow the process. So at the beginning, whatever you want, make it super simple and fast and develop it with the stakeholders who are going to be executing it. Don't come in and say, I developed, or here's your SOP for document management. This is what we're going to do. Bring them in in the process. Talk through each thing that you want, each step of the process to you want to implement, give them a voice from the beginning and then teach them based on their personalities and their strengths and empower them and how to use the tools and then push them through the beginning use and tweak it. Don't present things as gospel or here's the SOP. Now you have to follow it. If you don't like it, if this doesn't work, and this is what I tell my firms, we're going to put this in place. It'll be 80% right. We're going to use it. You're going to come to me and say, I hate this part of it. And we'll go, that's fine. Let's change it. Right. But Eventually. That, yeah. But I think the use it part is important, right? And you hit on a couple of things that I think is good to unpack a little bit. One is the historical. I saw this so many times when I started my consulting practice. I think a common approach is company realizes, oh, we need to bring in someone to help us architect this quality system. So let's hire this person. Let's pay them whatever, you know, X dollars. And that person more times than not would go off, sort of barricade or bury themselves or isolate themselves from the rest of the business. A lot of times they already had the templates that they used from the last time they did this and they just changed some logos, things like that. And then they're like, all right, here we go. Here's your SOPs. 
you know, here's my invoice. Oh, I'll do a quick training and overview and put them on the server, right? And then they're, yep. and then, bye-bye. Bye. They didn't effectively transfer that knowledge or, you know, ensure that somebody, there were boots on the ground to manage it. And it reminds me of one of the first, actually, consulting engagements that I had back in 2006. I was asked to help this startup. And, you know, with some quality initiatives, they had a person engaged that was doing clinical and regulatory and quality and things were starting to ramp up on the clinical side that was pulling her away from being able to handle the quality side. So but by the time I got there, there were already a full quality system that had been defined, at least from an SOP perspective. Now, granted, this was a very early stage startup. So why they needed all of this at that time is kind of a head scratcher. But nonetheless, I reviewed it and got myself up to speed. I'm, you know, comparing and contrasting the SOPs against FDA 820 and 1345 and everything seems good. So then I spent some time with the people. Specifically, I remember talking to one of the development engineers and asked him to walk me through the product development procedure and what they do. And he had never seen the procedure before in his life. Like, oh, we got a problem here. But I think that happens a lot, you know? Yeah, I think it's really easy to get lost. Just ignore the quality system that's in place, especially if you come into an organization that already has way more than they need right off the bat. And when you have that QMS delivery that's dropped at the doorstep without really stepping through it with the team, you lose functionality of it. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing is, and you and I both have had some experience at bigger companies too. I think the silos, especially in, I see a lot more in larger companies, but I think it happens in smaller companies too, but the functional silos or the walls that these groups within companies build, I think sometimes that quality group, and they're not alone, the engineering group does their own thing and the regulatory group does their own thing and the marketing group does their own thing. But quality has like taken on this responsibility from ensuring that the company's QMS, you know, passes muster with with regulatory bodies. So they, without any knowledge of really what's being done in these other departments or functions of the business, they write all of these procedures. You know, again, they're wonderfully compliant, but they do not align with how the work gets done. So I, I really resonate with what you shared about that. Understand If you're tasked with doing this, spend time with the people who actually own the process and are actually going to follow through and implement that procedure that you're writing. And if it doesn't work for them, then you've got to work with them to make something that's more palatable and has a better opportunity for success. Yeah. And I think too, the other thing that firms could do is baby step into processes, especially when the whole of the team doesn't have medical device experience is you don't, you don't need to comply with the regulations right off the bat before you are in the marketplace, then you need to comply with the regulations, but it, it's something to have a place to put things, right? Put, how are we going to handle our early data? How are we going to pick suppliers? Like, let's at least say what we're going to do, even if we're not fully putting in like internal auditing or supplier okay. auditing or a full like supplier qualification program, let's at least put a little bit of framework in. What should we look for when we're looking for these partners? Or where are we going to stick documents when we have early versions of them? Like just baby step into it, get the team used to the concept, to even the conversation or the verbiage. I think a lot of scientists can get to be really excited about the discovery phase and the R phase of R&D, right? The research phase. But if you teach them early that writing it down is just, or writing down like,
like the version that they're using in that phase of research is credit for the work they're doing. It's just a way to like tell that, like, it's just part of the story. All product development is you're just telling a story and you have to be able to tell your story. So take credit for the the cool stuff you're doing. I think that's really important because I remember the R versus D debate. I don't hear it as strong today as I did back early in my career, but I remember quite well some people at a company I used to work for, they were so adamant about R and D being so far apart from one another because their interpretation, and and I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but their interpretation is, and this relates to design control, like let's draw, let's make the, you know, and the regulations, you know, give some latitude that you as company can define when design control begins. So this company took a stance that they wanted to drag research for as long as possible and not necessarily formalize or require good documentation during that research portion. And then draw this line very, very late in the game, to be quite honest, where they enter into design controls. And for the life of me, I just didn't understand that. I'm like, to your point, like, why wouldn't you want to know all the different permeations and iterations and versions and, you know, things that you tried? You know, I'm not saying keep volumes of details, but, you know, what was the configuration of this thing that I did? What was involved? What materials? What were the part numbers of if I bought things? And what were the results? You know, what's the summary? Because what happens when I cross that line and get into D? And I implement the thing that worked during this product development process. And then I go to market and then I have to make a change because you will change your device. If there's no record of all the things that were done before, what is the likelihood that I'm going to make a change post-production that is something we already knew as a company, but we have no knowledge of it because it was tribal knowledge. It wasn't recorded. And that person left 15 years ago, you know, things like that. It's like, okay, there's got to be a better way. The thing about risk reduction too, every entrepreneur thinks their idea will be in market through the FDA in six months, right? Maybe a year. The reality is it takes longer and there are personnel changeovers. And like you said, with tribal knowledge, you know, the guy that initially developed the technology or did the design work or like took it from like to the very edge of the R phase, he retired two years ago. We thought we'd be on market by now, but he doesn't really like it when we call him. So does anybody have his notebook? Why are we struggling? We don't need to. Well, and if you call me about something that I had worked on a couple of years ago, I'm just going to be honest. My memory is not. I mean, I can remember tidbits and things, but it's not going to be a full recall of everything that we did and why we did it. It's just not not that way. Sure. Yeah. Just a lot. It's risk, like you said, risk. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Christy Johnson. Christy is the founder of Casoda Engineering. Excuse me. And you can find out more about Casoda and their practices by visiting Casoda, K-A-S-O-T-A, consult.com. That's casodaconsult.com. All one word, no hyphens or anything of that nature. Christy, while we're taking this break, you mentioned a little bit about some of the work that you have been doing with Casoda, with Radex, and also this venture with product. I guess, what else do you want folks to know about the work that you're doing at Casoda and product and so on? Yeah, we're doing lots of good work through a lot of different channels. I think we're running new projects through product. Devin and I were joining forces, makes us stronger and lets us offer more and different perspectives to our clients. So we're starting to kind of integrate and running new projects through product. 
Very cool. And if you want to know more about product or reach out to Christy and, and or Devin, you can go to P-R-O-D-C-T.dev. I've been meaning to run this by Devin. I don't know if he'll, hopefully he'll listen to this and he'll get a chuckle, but I know the U is missing out of product and you know maybe that should be the tagline, you know, make product complete. We need you. Anyway, I'm just- We using. need you. <laughs> need you. you know it's funny because it actually works because you know our philosophy is very much we can help train whoever you have to do quality or implement quality into whatever role they have so we really kind of do need you we need you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by the way in a way that is very our goal is is for our teams to have and develop team members to understand quality and find their voice with it and not just in a Christie said kind of way, like to really be able to own it and apply the fundamentals and take it and run with it and not, you know, a continual crutch on either Devin or myself. So absolutely. So as we're kind of getting to the latter part of our conversation today, quality, I mean, we've hit on a couple of the, I think the triggers, but you know, quality is one of these things that sometimes it can be super subjective. I know we try to make it objective by defining quality parameters and our drawings and specific specifications and that sort of thing. But I think it's important from a mindset perspective. How do we get, because I think we as an industry, we've created the situation that we're in. We've created this perception and the mindset that we're in as an organization. I think we unnecessarily make lives way more complicated, especially when it comes to quality management system initiatives. I think it's super important. I think it needs to be the top of your pyramid and the focus of your company. But to quote Taylor Brown, one of our medical device gurus at Greenlight, it's not that deep. So why are <laughs> we making it so hard? Uh, Taylor, she's a genius. I love her. <laughs> yeah, why? I And maybe you know, how do we make it easier? It's not that hard. I think you got to find a coach for your team. Don't think of it as a consultant, right? I think firms need to find a coach for their team. And whoever that team is, we can coach and we can advise and teach that person to embrace the very easy to understand concepts of quality. I have a lot of teams that will say, can you read the regulation and tell me what it says? And like, you can Google 21 CFR. <laughs> yeah, it's free. You don't even have to buy it. Yeah. It's written in plain English at like probably, I don't know, an eighth grade reading level. Like it's very understandable and people don't understand, but they can just go read it. And sometimes there's nuancey things with applying that. Of course, there's like best practice. And that's what I can help with is just a little bit of interpretive. Okay. When you get asked these questions, this idea is going to be applied also in this area, like in risk management, right? When an inspector comes to sit down with you, they're not just going to look at your risk management file. They're going to start with your complaints. Yeah. Maybe you won't start with it, but they're going to get to your complaints and then they're going to point to a complaint and go and ask to see that entry in your risk management file. And that like, that's an idea that is not expressly laid out anywhere, but that's definitely an expectation. But like, those are the nuancey things that are very teachable that are not maybe written out explicitly. So yeah, sorry. I was just going to say to me the an opportunity for companies to think about with this is put your product at the center or products at the center of the universe, right? I mean, that's why we are met medical device companies because we have a product, a technology, some sort of device that we believe will make a positive impact on humanity in some way, shape, or form. We want to have a positive impact on the quality of life. So think about that product, put that at the center of your universe. 
and you know wherever that product is in its journey to being on the market you know maybe you're pre-market maybe you've been in the market for 20 years try to tell the story you said this earlier tell the story of your product you know and don't tell it like an urban legend don't tell it like you know through verbal storytelling i mean there's a part and a, a place for that i suppose but what are the facts what are the evidence what are the details where's the records and the documentation that archives or that better illustrates that story you know you can go pull this oh look here's a report about you know this thing that happened back then and oh look here's something but think about it you know from an entire continuum you know from a total product life cycle so felt like i just got on a weird soapbox there for a moment no I think you're right on. I mean, I think a lot of firms could look at quality as a way to ensure their safety and efficacy. If your like, product is in the middle of your universe, that means your safety and your efficacy is at the center of your universe. And how can you prove those things using artifacts that you're creating and tell the whole story about how you got there? It's really just a way to do that. Yeah. And I think if to me, and this is a hypothesis, I haven't proven or disproven it yet, but I think if you focus on making sure that your product is as safe and effective as possible, then a lot of the quality challenges remove themselves as challenges and become opportunities. Now, I know I'm a little Pollyanna and a little optimistic and, you know, silver lining kind of guy at times, but I think we as an industry are making too many damn excuses about these things. And we've got to make sure that we're 100% focused on doing what is best for patient as best as we possibly can. And our processes, our products, our mindset should all reflect that because, you know, Chrissy, we have some of the coolest jobs in the world. We get, to work, we get to work on medical devices that ch- help people and keep them alive, that improve their condition. That's amazing. It is. It's amazing. I, um, time of the week is Monday morning because, well, I have two small children, right? So <laughs> that's when the nanny shows back up. Yeah. And I have quiet in my office with my projects and with my teams. We can reconnect after the weekend and figure out what's on their minds and what can we do from a quality perspective to help ensure that whatever they're thinking about or worrying about, there's probably something that we can help develop a process for or tweak our process or reduce pain points or just help them write down the great work they're doing. So I love my work. I love every day of it. And I wish more people love their work too. Yeah, well, I appreciate what you do and how you are, you know, taking on the role of, of teaching others, even if they don't have a history and working in quality and quality management systems. I appreciate how you are taking that on that role of coach and teacher and having success with that because I think it's so important. Yeah, I know it sounds cliche, but quality is all of our responsibilities within our companies. It is a hundred percent true, and we have to take more ownership of this. Maybe we should get rid of quality as a department and as as a function and just make that as part of everybody's role and responsibilities within a company. But nonetheless, I think we're on the right path. I think we're chipping away at Greenlight Guru. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you want to share before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I think just kind of like to tie it all together, like especially really early firms, don't seek out a QA figurehead for your young team. You need a coach. You need eager learners. Really what the quality team needs is people with bandwidth to learn and to have some pretty easy to learn and simple concepts. Find a coach that can be creative with your team, understand alternative backgrounds, and really be able to communicate effectively with whatever you're working with on your team. Um, If you need help choosing that team, that's also something that we can help with. And some of what makes Coinful is that people don't have a tool that makes it easy. Greenlight 
happens to be one of my favorites. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not there or there's other ways to do it too, find a tool that your team will use. Yeah, I'll echo that. I think find people to help you who want to teach you and want you to take ownership of your processes. If you're just looking for somebody to check a bunch of boxes so that, you know, you can get a certificate to hang on your wall or, you know, be able to say, yep, we're compliant, then you've kind of missed the mark. Compliance is not the goal. Compliance comes when you focus on quality. It's a byproduct and quality needs to be the center of your universe as a medical device company, because if you're putting it on the back burner or hoping that it functions in the background without, you know, disrupting or changing anything about your business, then you've got the wrong focus. So, you know, and to Chrissy's point, yes, Greenlight Group, we do have a wonderful solution, a cloud-based medical device success platform designed specifically and only for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals, people who have been there, done that, people who've got the experiences like Christy, that like the experiences like I have. These are the people who have designed this product for you. And we have medical device gurus who work at Greenlight Guru. They've been in the industry for a long time. They've been through the types of challenges that you're going through. So you got a whole team behind you. Plus we have people like Christy Johnson with Casota Engineering, and she mentioned Devin Campbell with product. We have folks like that that are available as well to help you. So if you'd like to learn more, go to W www.greenlight.guru request a demo we'd love to have a conversation with you and understand your requirements and see if we have products and services and resources that we can help coach and teach you the ways of quality so check that out as always well first Thank you, Christy. I've enjoyed this conversation. You know, I feel like we can talk about these types of things for days and maybe we'll do it again here real soon. Okay. Sounds good. This is all right. And folks, thank you for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry. And that's because of you. Keep listening, keep spreading the word, keep sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And until next time, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you.